This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's the latest explosion from the inside of the Trump administration. I'm speaking, of course, about the explosive anonymous op-ed piece published in the New York Times from an unnamed insider describing himself, unlikely herself, as part of the, quote, resistance that is working to curb the president's worst impulses. The piece says that the root of the problem is the president's immorality, and I am quoting, and it says, Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. Now, the White House is said to be in crisis mode as Trump officials try to zero in on the identity of whoever wrote the skating editorial. Uh, We've had, as you heard in Chris's news, denials from Pompeo and from Pence so far. And it all comes on the heels of revelations from Bob Woodward's upcoming book. The president, of course, has denounced all of it, going as far as calling it treason. So, is this a turning point or just another wild drama that we are growing accustomed to? I want to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And first, we are turning to Siraj Hashmi, political commentator and writer for The Washington Examiner, and Janice Stein, professor at the Monk School of Global Affairs and the Bellsburg Professor of Conflict. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, so let us start with Siraj. You are in Washington, and how is this going down there? You know, it's uh, it's interesting um, week that we're having here in Washington between the Brett Kavanaugh hearings for the Supreme Court, and then this happens. Um, it's nothing short of uh, entertaining, uh, politically speaking. But yeah, the, the White House is... Uh, up in arms about who could possibly write such a scathing op-ed anonymously for the New York Times, sort of maligning President Trump's uh, mind mindset as well as uh, you know his his acumen and uh, fitness, his mental fitness to to be president. It's sort of uh, it's I wouldn't say it's the lowest point in Trump's presidency, but uh, some would probably argue that it is uh, just uh, something writing something like this is just shy of invoking uh, the 25th Amendment to try to remove President Trump from from office. Well, it was reported that uh, they were on the verge of doing that. And just to uh, clarify for our audience, the 25th Amendment is uh, under special circumstances. The cabinet can move to remove the president, Janice. That's correct, right? Yes, right. Yeah. So the, the, you, there are either two ways you could either uh, remove the president permanently, uh, I believe through Article Four, as you just said, and then there's Article Three in which there's a temporary removal in which the vice president would take over for a bit until the president uh, returns back 
and is ready to take the job again. So, um, yeah, that's that's been the the two talks have always been about uh, impeachment and then invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment and uh, his cabinet. I, I doubt you know they, they talk about how this article was written by a quote senior official in the Trump administration, uh, and everybody's speculating about who it might be. You know, it could be a cabinet secretary. It could be a uh, higher level uh, member in the White House. I honestly think it's somebody that we've never heard of before. Uh, that's possible. Janice, how do you see this watching it from Toronto? Well, you know, you asked a great question, Libby, at the, at the start of the conversation. It's just more wild drama or turning point. Just a sniff to me of a turning point, because uh, I, I do think this was written by somebody who wants to get... Um, the you know the twenty seventh amendment that process going. Uh, you don't do this unless uh, you're trying to sound an alarm bell that you have somebody that's not temporarily ill, which is what some of the provisions allow the cabinet to do. Somebody sick. You know, you remember when Ronald Reagan was shot, there was some discussion about whether there should be an invocation of, of, of Article 3 so that he could be temporarily replaced by the vice president until he was recovered. That's business as usual. This is a message. This president is not only morally unfit for office, he can't focus. He's not able to do the job. And we are here with our fingers in the dike. That's why the person who wrote it labeled this the resistance. Um, you know, and and we, are set, we are telling the American people that this is what it's like inside. Now, we, there's, no, there's no precedent for this in modern American history. I can't ever recall reading an op-ed like the one that was in the New York Times yesterday. Well, uh, one of my colleagues had an interesting thought, and I'm, I'm usually not very open to anything that smacks of a conspiracy theory, but he thought that the timing of this might have had something to do with the Bob Woodward book, just as a message that uh, the things in the Woodward book are true, no matter what Donald Trump says. Does, does that resonate with either of you? Well, you know, again, just to jump in for a second on our story, uh, um, you know, Bob Woodward is a very, very careful journalist. <laughs> he tapes his interviewees. He will never reveal his sources. So what is unquestionably true is these people said these things to him. Now, whether what they said is true is a different order question. But there's no doubt that these people said these things to him. They wouldn't be in his book. Siraj? Yeah, you know, uh, I want to cite Paul Vigala, who was a former Clinton advisor. Uh, he tweeted out within the last couple of days that he said some very nasty things about the Clinton White House when he was there. And he backed up Woodward's reporting, saying that uh, it's not, it's no question that I said these things because I said them. So, uh, yeah, Woodward, to uh, back up the professor's point, he's a very careful journalist, and he has a lot more credibility than, say, Michael Wolf, who had yeah. a number of issues with his uh, journalist reporting. And, you know, there are many times in his book that, you know, there's simple errors and, and typos, but there are also events that uh, were either misinterpreted or misconstrued and so you, there's a lot more doubt to be cast upon michael wolf's book i don't think with woodward you're going to find the same thing you might find that 
by him not talking to President Trump, um, it might hurt the book just a little bit. But I think that the the events that he will be writing about in his book uh, will be more true than, say, in Michael Wolff's. Well, it's it's interesting. We heard the the uh, tape of a conversation between Trump and Bob Woodward, where Trump was saying, "You know, I would have loved to talk to you." <laughs> right? I'll bet and, he would know, have. It's, yeah. It's, it's weird because I don't know what added value Trump would have to say to Bob Woodward. Of course, I actually think that Trump is more on guard with you know more serious journalists than say. Uh, Someone, a, a, a reporter over at Fox News, a, a network he feels is very friendly and uh, probably more, you know, they paint him in a more positive light. I actually think he's more revealing in interviews to them because they really kind of let his guard down and he sort of can say whatever he wants. And, you know, he had that interview with Ainsley Earhart a couple of weeks ago on Fox and Friends. And he probably revealed more information about the whole Michael Cohen, Stormy Daniels, and Karen McDougal affair than probably with any reporter I've seen so far. You know, there's there's a bigger issue here, too, which I find stunning is the only way to describe it. You have unelected officials. In the, I'm going to try to use the mildest language here, thwarting the president's will. You have people removing documents. This is what... Exactly. That story was incredible, Janice. I'm just yeah. going to interrupt to remind people about it. And this is from Cohen, the former economic advisor, and basically said that he saw papers on the president's desk, which, if signed, he thought would be a threat to national security. They had to do with a, a deal with Korea, uh, and that involved some military cooperation. And so he took those papers, he stole those papers off the president's desk. Yeah. In the interest of national security. Um, so, yes, uh, the other thing, and it was mentioned in this op-ed piece, and I'm looking at uh, my patient callers, who I definitely will get to, uh, but this blaming of the media, it looks like it takes. I'm, I'm looking at my callers, who I will give the opportunity to talk to, and, and they're blaming the media for this, so it looks like Trump calling out the reporting of this as enemies of the people, that that, that still works. With whom? That's a really interesting question. Does it work with... And the, part of this is that we're in the run-up now to the midterm elections, right? Is it making any Republican members of the House uneasy that Republican appointees of this president are writing and speaking like this? Because ultimately, this is going to come down Libby, to the cabinet and to the Congress. Uh, so you're you're saying that you're you're convinced there will be some type of I, I impeachment that, or something. Uh, I, I think there. I think this is a big flashing orange light of a kind that. Republicans in the House, even those who support Trump and understand they need his support to get reelected, that they have not seen before. And and Siraj, what do you think? You know, with 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 respect to the midterm elections, yeah, I would have to agree that this is probably more material to kind of get Democrats out to register to vote and even show up to the polls. 
it, you know, there is kind of little doubt that the House is up for grabs. The Senate is a little bit tougher because there are a lot more Democrats uh, running than there are Republicans uh, who are up for reelection. And the red state Democrats who are currently uh, up for grabs, uh, like Claire McCaskill in Missouri, uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, um, and John Tester in Montana, you know, these five individuals, um, the, the biggest test for them is whether they vote for Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. It has little to do with, you know, an anonymous email, uh, an anonymous op-ed that's written in the New York Times. The, the decision that comes down to them is for these red state Democrats, they vote for Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. They're likely to keep their seat. And as a result, you know, Chuck Schumer might end up being the Senate majority leader. Um, but they're in, the, they're in a tougher spot with that than I say they are with, um, you know, using an anonymous op-ed to try to rally voters around them. It's, 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 it's no easy spot for Democrats right now, especially in the Senate. Okay, uh, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Diane in Toronto. Hello, Diane. Hello. How are you, Libby? Fine. How are you? Good, good. Uh, First of all, I want to say I'm not for or against Trump. I mean, he's just there, and he's there, and that's it. And our focus, unfortunately, is totally on him, and we're not concentrating on the idiot that we have. However, with this (laughs) thing that's happened so far, uh, I think it's disgraceful. Journalism overall is just so disappointing. It I What's disappointing believe. about this? That I'm it's sorry? anonymous? Is it disappointing to you that it's anonymous? Yes, if a person cannot stand up behind their words and say, I am saying this, their words mean nothing to me. Nothing. Uh, I'm going to let uh, our our uh, experts uh, uh, respond to that. And, you know, they're, they're, I've, I've heard from a lot of anti-Trump people who basically say the same thing, that whoever wrote this should step forward. Exactly. Say it. Say it. Come forward. If you really mean it from the heart, you're committed to this thing, stand up and say what you mean. Don't hide. But it's disgraceful. Like journalism as a whole, I I get so disappointed with our news people on CBC. I mean, they're just ridiculous. Everything is so slanted. Why can't journalists just give us the facts? We'll Well, form our own our own opinions. Many, I don't, I don't many of us, many of us do. Uh, Diane, I'm going to let uh, Janice and Siraj respond. Thanks for your call. You know, I, I would want the writer of this to come forward um, and reveal, as you said, Libby, likely himself, less yeah. likely herself. Very less likely. Yeah, very less likely. But the, and the reason I say this, and that person would lose their job, for right? sure, be fired, uh, and so. The, they would lose their capacity uh, in the language that they used yesterday to resist. Uh, nevertheless, the allegations are so serious against this president um, that if you really want people to begin to walk down the road of removing this president from office because of unfitness to serve, you have to come forward and identify yourself. Now, I do understand why the New York Times made the decision that it did. I, I bet it was a really tough call for them, but I would hope this person is going to come forward now. Uh, Siraj? Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, to Janice's point and to the caller's point. I do think that the person should come forward, and if they really believe what it is that they allege uh, President Trump of being, you know, they should actually put their name on it. 
But I will say this, you know, there, there's there's so many different theories about who it could possibly be. And Mike Pence is the only person who can actually write this without being fired because he, he was, you know, nominated by the people. He was elected by the people. Um, anyone else, though, um, and I don't think it's going to be someone as high up as a Mike Pence or a, anyone in the White House like that. It's probably a lower-level staffer. But I think the, these are ty- that's the type of person that is thinking about their career after Trump and realizing or reading the tea leaves thinking that whatever's going to happen after they leave the White House won't be good for their hiring prospects. And uh, they want to leave a paper trail to show that they were at least trying to keep a lid on it while they were still working at the White House or working in the administration. Um, Siraj, do you have uh, theories? Do you have names of who this might be? No, I don't have names, but I and I'm not going to speculate who it might be. But I will say I don't think it's going to be as high up as people think it is. Hmm. Interesting. Let's take a call from William in Toronto. Hi, William. Hello, Lib. Um, I think all of this is sensationalism, and people should not get ensnared in this sensationalism, and they should use their own powers of discernment to figure it out for themselves. Uh, I'm usually very opinionated on things, but in this case, the answer lies somewhere in the, the middle. Uh, Mr. Trump's uh, mental stability is very good for uh, real estate purposes, but not entirely suitable for the White House. Uh, with that said, there's a lot of problems in the White House that existed uh, before Mr. Trump got there. He said he was going to clean out the swamp, so he has to uh, clean out the swamp, and it looks like he's doing it in his own way. I don't think he's mentally unstable whatsoever. It just, his tactics may not be suitable for the White House, and he's just taking whatever he knows from his real estate business to the White House, and people should just use their own discernment and not get entangled in all this sensationalism, confusion, and chaos, and Uh, All these things I've mentioned here, they're very well historically documented tactics, and uh, there's nothing new about them. And that's all I've got to say. Thank you for taking my call. Okay, well, uh, I'm not sure about that. I mean, uh, the reports, and certainly in Bob Woodward's book, are people saying that he's, uh, what, like like somebody in grade 5 or grade 6, can't focus. Um, That's, I think, a, a general view of him. Siraj? I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? Uh, it's like the general view of him, uh, the, you know, the the reporting in or from Bob Woodward's book, uh, people saying that, that his understanding is like that of, you know, a kid in grade five or grade six. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I do think Trump is actually a very smart man. Um, I don't know if his, if his intelligence translates to being uh, good at governing um, the United States of America, um, but there are certain things that he's very good at, and I think that you know he's good at marketing, he's good at selling himself, um, he's very good at campaigning. Um, I think with respect to understanding policy, there is sort of a tendency that I've gathered from you know reports of him that he can he seems he can go into meetings cold, not under not having read the briefings beforehand and try to understand things kind of on its face. I don't know if he fully grasps what happens with respect to policy, uh, you know, like trade. I mean, that's something that's, that's huge, uh, you know, with respect to, at least in North America and NAFTA. Um, 
you know, I, he thinks that tariffs are a means of uh, re-shifting the trade imbalances that currently exist um, between the United States and, say, Canada or Mexico or the U.S. and China. And, you know, kind of getting, uh, if he is trying to be a Republican president, he is certainly going outside the conventional means of implementing policy. And that's probably where the struggle lies most. Janice, you were about to say something. Yeah, um, I actually do think this is new. Um, I can't remember um, any other president in the post-war period where advisors were speaking, and Bob Woodward has written many books, um, where advisors said, as you just said, Libby, that he throws tantrums, acts like a great fiver, um, can't focus, uh, doesn't read his briefing papers. Uh, I, that really is new for any of our listeners. That has not happened before. And the op-ed yesterday is new. Um, that has not happened before. So this does raise an issue of fitness to govern. There's no question about it. Okay, let's hear from Ernest in Mississauga. Hi, Ernest. Uh, hello. Hi. Hi, hi, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I'd like to point out that um, this is a typical case of where we're trying to crucify the messenger instead of looking at the message. A um, um, couple things here. We, we've got a bona fide liar in the White House, and nobody seems to be offended by that. He's a racist. He, he's a bigot. And nobody seems to be offended by Donald Trump being in the in the, in the White House. Um, uh, Obama said in in the campaign that Donald Trump was unfit to be a president, and nobody listened. Uh, so so now we've lowered our standards, our morals, our values, and that most people find that is acceptable to have Donald Trump in the office. He should have been moved a long time ago, and and it just hurts me as an American to to think that you're an American. You know, Yes, I am, but I live in Canada now. Um, and, and, and the thing that we just <laughs> throw out our morals and, and our values, the, 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 there used to be something that, that says any true blue American would bleed on the flag just to make sure the stripes stay red. Where has that gone to? It seems like we've just thrown all our values out the window. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. Okay, thanks very much Thank for that. You. Let's go to Tina in St. Thomas. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just going to comment on this story. What are, what does it mean exactly when they say immoral? Immoral means immoral. Has, I mean this. It means he has uh, he has uh, he has no moral compass. That's what that means. Uh, I was just going to uh, point out all the things that John Kennedy did and Clinton did and everybody else in the White House. Yeah, so all I those things had to do with um, sex, basically. But uh, well, I know, but I mean, how moral is that? Well, um, I don't know. I guess it depends on your perspective. I think that's kind of uh, separate this guy really from loves his country. And look at what he's already done. What nobody else been able to do all all the good things that he's been able to do. Oh yeah, and Trump. Everybody's overlooking that now. So, so you think uh, this is all like a bad witch hunt for him? Uh, and it has been right from the start, because he's not a politician, and they can't stand that. 
Okay, Tina, thanks for your perspective. Thanks. Okay, well, there you go. Um, still a lot of people, this, this isn't making um, a dent for a lot of people. Let's hear from Bruce in Etobicoke. Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, several months ago, I, I heard this report about Donald Trump, about his, about his mentality, about his intelligence, that he was exhibiting signs of uh, diminished uh, mental capacity. And not that he had Alzheimer's or like that, but they, they concluded this because... Uh, sorry, um, did we lose you? No. No? Go ahead. So he uses really basic words. Um, he, he uses basic sentences. Um, and I truly believe, he, I don't think he does any preparations. I think he does very little reading. That a president should do all the reading. He should really be knowledgeable. I think he still wants to just play golf all the time and just sit there and be the boss. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Bruce. Um, we are uh, basically running out of time, so I will turn back to Siraj and Janice. What would you like to leave us with on this, and where do you think it's going next, Siraj? Yeah, you know, just to respond to a couple of the calls, I think the first call is saying that no one's offended by Trump's racism. I'd, I'd say that's patently false. That, you know, people in the United States on both sides of the aisle are uh, horrified by President Trump's behavior and have spoken out about it regardless of their party affiliation. Um, but I will say this, you know, this anonymous uh, op-ed, yes, it is new that something like this would happen. There are a lot of officials who leave uh, the administrations and then criticize the president um, and kind of use that as sort of a, a launching platform for their careers. Um, I think for some of these people, uh, they saw, say, someone like Omarosa, who has been a loyalist to Trump for so long, come out with his book after she left the White House. And I think they're trying to strategically plan a career after the White House, and this is kind of how it's going. Well, that's, that's an interesting perspective on that. Uh, Siraj and Janice, what would you like to leave us with? You know, there's a, there's a story here, Libby, um, about how a democracy, as opposed to other kinds of governments, copes with a challenge where a significant group of people around the leader um, begin to think that that leader is not capable of doing the job. You know, we know how they handle these problems um, in Damascus or Istanbul or um, even Moscow at different times in history. Um, but what you're seeing in the United States, just to get a little above the, mo- the story of the day for the moment, what you're seeing in the United States now is the beginnings of a discussion, okay, how does the law work here? Because it's not an option to remove a president in the United States in anything but a lawful manner. Uh, And I think that's what we've seen over the last week. And that's what I think we're seeing the beginning of that conversation. It's a hugely important conversation for democracies to have. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, and uh, we shouldn't forget that he is the duly elected president. That's right. And that's why it's actually not okay for an official to take something off his desk and hope that he doesn't notice, which he apparently did not. Okay, well, uh, that's all true. It's all pretty wild and wacky, and I'm sure we will be returning to this topic many times. Thank you so much, Siraj Hashmi and Janice Stein. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.